0: Well, Well. ain't we a pair, raggedy man.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye, soldier. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, where there is a worrying lack of no mercy. We were promised no mercy in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, one minute at a time. I'm Rick.
2: And I'm Julia.
1: And today we're talking about Minute 99, which begins with Auntie laughing at Max, and it ends with Jedediah flying the air truck towards a sandstorm. Closing out the week with us is someone that we would never abandon in the middle of a desert, Brad Mull (laughs) from the Lost World Minute. Thank you, guys. (laughs) Good to be back. Good to have you here as we are leaving behind the double digits of Mad Max movies. We have never before done a Mad Max movie with more than double-digit runtime.
2: I was going to ask what our previous number was.
1: So, Mad Max 79 was a solid 93 minutes?
2: That sounds right, yeah.
1: And then road warrior was 95 okay and here with beyond thunderdome we have 107 so this is the last minute before we breach into that triple digit range quite the milestone well done guys (laughs) as we begin auntie is ending her iconic phrase ain't we a pair raggedy man and then she laughs There's no motion for her guards to kill Max. There's no her taking a crossbow herself and ending him.
0: She just laughs and then turns to walk away. Well, I don't think she'd have any gratification in doing it. The whole aim here was to get Master back and he's flown off. Killing Max wouldn't bring Master back. Yeah.
2: But Max escaped his intended punishment and return to Bartertown. So doesn't he still need to be punished for that? In Auntie's eyes, doesn't he still need to die? Or no, because his punishment wasn't to die, it was to be exiled. And yes he came back and flouted that punishment, but and this moment, he's still out in the middle of nowhere. He's not in Bartertown. So the best she can do, adhering to the wheel, is to leave him behind, which is exactly what she does. So perhaps this is her version of No Mercy. Mm. Mercy would have been to take him back to what's left of Bartertown and to the safety of food and water supplies and Some sort of society.
1: You almost get the sense that Auntie sees the humor in this situation that at the end of all of this, it's the same guy that she picked out in order to pull off her machinations. That, of course, at the end of the day, it would be Max. That he's the one left behind, the very one that betrayed her trust, that she exiled, and yet he still came back like a bad penny. And now here they are at the end of the day, Master is gone, and it's just the two of them. And she just calls him Raggedy Man.
2: My mind reaches back to when Max very first entered the queue... To get into Bartertown, and Iron Bar spotted him in line, and for whatever reason, decided to follow him in. He saw Max and knew this guy is going to be a problem. This guy is somebody that I need to watch, and he was 100% right. Throughout the entire movie, Max has brought nothing but misery and problems to Bartertown, and yeah, here in the end. It was Max the whole time. He was the problem.
0: And it also shows some restraint on her part too, because now at this point, last time we seen Bardetown, people were fleeing. The boiler for the methane's gone. or it's back at the end of that train line, but she was telling him back at the start, this was her dream to give the wasteland hope to rebuild civilization. He's pretty much destroyed. Most chances of that continuing. Like she's got to go back now and do some major rebuilding. Mm -hmm. If anyone's still there. (laughs) there's a lot of people running away of those explosions.
1: I wonder Wait. if Auntie recognizes that Max wasn't necessarily the mastermind in this situation. When she saw him in Underworld, when all the alarms were going off, he had this expression on his face that he wasn't quite sure what was going on. And when he snatched Master out of her hands and then jumped to the engine portion of the train. She might have seen that as a direct slight against her, but she also could have just seen it as him being a lackey. She's probably just observing that Mm. Max is not so much someone who is maliciously tearing down Bartertown of his own volition. He's someone who was working for Auntie, and here at the end of the movie, he was someone who was working for Master. So she calls him Soldier. Maybe the proper word she was looking for was Mercenary.
2: Mm. Max's allegiance does seem to change throughout the movie, and the first half of the movie, his allegiance is very much motivated by getting his things back. I kind of wanted to say greed, but it's not greed. They were his own things that he earned through effort and labor. Mm -hmm. He just wanted that stuff back that was stolen from him. But it was motivated by things and possessions. And then in the second half of the movie, his allegiance turned to... The kids and keeping them alive, and that seemed to be more of a moral allegiance that the kids had found a safe place, and for their own good, they shouldn't leave that place. Even if he has to forcefully keep them there, he is going to. Hmm. And he goes back out into the desert because he feels some allegiance to Savannah and her group to go out there and try and save their lives.
0: Yeah, it's sort of a bit of a backwards or flip-flopping this film does where in Road War it was the whole those mobile enough to stay alive. Whereas here, yes, he's sort of commandeering any sort of transport he can to stay mobile, but also he's sort of getting stuck down. He got stuck down in Bartertown because of the deal, trying to get his stuff back. And then once again, when he gets to the crack of the earth, it's like, oh, this place is good. I'm just going to stay here and hold up here.
2: Perhaps that speaks to his age and experience. That he was... I'm too old for this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He was a younger man back in Mad Max 79 and in Road Warrior, where he was still freshly hurt by the loss of Jesse, and he needed to keep moving in order to tend his wounds. Even a young person who hasn't been hurt in that way feels the need to experience new things and see the world And then, you know, when you get 15 years down the road, you're looking for a place to settle down. You've experienced the world. You know how hard it is. Now you're just hoping for a place to feel safe and grow old and relax a little while.
1: It's one of those things where we've talked to Shem Herman in the past. The idea of having Mel Gibson in Fury Road would be old man Max trying to find a place in the world to stop running around all the time. The idea that he would have stayed put at the Citadel if it had been Mel Gibson instead of Tom Hardy.
2: That does lead me to the question, if we were going to have an old man Max movie, which I totally would have gone for, I think Mel Gibson still could have played Max as an older man. I would have been fine with that. me. But I think Max knows where the crack in the earth is. He knows how to get there. And now that he's... Made that journey twice there and back, he knows what he would need to get him there more safely than the first time he traveled there. Yeah. So why doesn't he go back there and live the rest of his life?
1: I think in order for him to get back to the crack in the earth, he would have to backtrack along the runway to Crocodile Henry's dugout, go from there. Through the underground tunnel, up the rope ladder, to the burned-out car. From the burned-out car over the ridge to the train tracks, backtrack along the train tracks... To Bartertown, Bartertown out to the castle, the part where they exile people from, and then he would have a general idea which way the crack in the earth is. But he'd have to, I assume, stock up in Bartertown.
2: Mm hmm. He with would. With supplies. Although he could stock up at Jedediah's place.
1: That's very true.
0: Mm.
2: And, well, okay, I think Jedediah's place is also a great place to stay a while.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: There are probably stores of food and water there where he could stay for some time.
0: And he knows it's vacant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. We just sent him off. That makes a lot more sense than trying to backtrack. Because even you talked in, I think it was minute 45, with Sally Ann being able to catch up to the horse and follow the horse's tracks in the sand. But he had no idea which direction from Bartertown they left in. He has a starting point, but getting out there and even when they were coming back from the crack in the earth, they were following Savannah's tracks until they had that incident, then seen the lights. There's no mention of following stars or anything. Mm. To have a base, at least it's one thing I do like about Fury Road, how um, Max is sort of making that mud map up as he goes, sort of identifying different landmarks and putting it on that little bit of tattered rag he's carrying around with him. Where here, it's sort of, I don't think the expansive space is really really felt because even that oh, that like 44 when he's on the horse you just get that wipe to imply that time has passed mm-hmm. but you don't actually get a specific sort of no or you don't know how much time exactly how long that horse has been walking for um, how long they walk for at night <laughs> or or what direction yeah or direction yeah so i'm looking at this scene this interaction
1: between max and auntie and it reminds me of the end of road warrior where max is leaning up against the tanker and the gyro captain drives up in his gyrocopter with the bent top rotor and they share this look between them and the gyro captain gives him that dumb grin and max can't help but crack a smile for once but it's this whole thing where this calamitous event has happened and max is just left interacting with this other person and they're having a bit of a laugh about it yeah it's just reflection on yeah that just happened <laughs> And you get the extra added bonus of Max having just sacrificed something so that other people
0: could escape violence. Mm. There's that other parallel. And again, in Road Warrior, where once the truck tanker rolled, the rest just sort of turned around and left. They never went down there. There was no need to go and even see if Max had survived. Mm-hmm. And Adi more or less does the same here. She just turns and walks away. And
1: I appreciate how her guards just follow suit and scramble back onto the vehicles and then she just mounts up and drives off and max is sitting there just like wondering what's going
2: on (laughs) his face typically really just doesn't give away that much and perhaps i'm projecting onto him but it's like he almost is gonna smile
0: appreciating for a moment the fact that she didn't kill him yes it might also be because of the pg the rating but for the whole chase, like, neither of them were trying to kill each other. It was just, the, again, the back and forth of who's got Master in their hands and trying to escape. It hasn't really been set up here that killing each other would benefit anyway.
1: And I don't think Auntie ever got to the point where she wanted
0: to just out and out kill Max. Well, that's what a goons have always been for. She's never taken anyone out. The whole reason he's there in the first place is because she couldn't do what she wanted to do. She wanted someone else to do it.
2: Her society has its faults, but there does seem to be enough law and order that you can't just kill someone and get away with it. There would be repercussions. And and it
1: might be that just Auntie lacks that killer instinct. She's not a murderer in her own right.
2: No, she's not a murderer. She's a politician. Yeah. And politics is all about image. People need to view you as being something or some way. So if she starts just killing people, people are going to view her as murderous and reckless and lawless. And why would you on purpose want someone like that ruling your town?
0: More a dictator.
2: Yeah, you would work to depose them.
0: Mm. I wonder, it would have been really interesting to see what Auntie's choice would have been on that wheel.
2: Yes, it would have.
0: What she could have dealt out or had the stomach to deal out. That's a good question. What would Auntie have picked? It'd have to be hard labor. <laughs> she knows she can, you can shovel. <laughs>
2: yeah, I was going to guess hard labor because it's not out and out killing him. Mm-hmm. But it's not letting him get off easy. I think at that moment, she was genuinely upset with him. And genuinely, her image was damaged by his actions. Yeah. And like I said, she's a politician. So that was particularly bad. So she really did want to punish him in some way, but I don't think she wanted to kill him.
1: Yeah, I could see Auntie sending him to hard labor as opposed to underworld because hard labor, we assume, is being sent out to scavenge under guard Mm -hmm. and then forced to carry things back or maybe not even sent out to scavenge, but like chipping away at the back of the quarry to expand Barter Town. Like, mm-hmm. out in the sun, exhausting work, that sort of thing.
2: And it would give her the opportunity to let the situation calm down and then pull him out and do something else with him. Yeah. Outside of the public view.
1: I definitely think that she would avoid sending him to Underworld to avoid a situation where Max and Master start associating with each other. Mm-hmm. and. hmm max let slip details about the situation to master and then the two of them start working together that would come back as a pretty bad backfire
0: but again too being like the politician it's sort of down there you've same or similar to pig killer where you've got someone down there as an example of what happens if you sort of do that thing wrong where max being there or hard labor or wherever she put him um would be there people would know he's there because he broke a deal with auntie
2: I wonder if he would have received a brand.
0: Possibly. If he was
2: kept in captivity, would he have been branded?
0: Do you think she would have
1: chosen something more along the lines of forfeit goods and just kicked him out of town
2: without any of his goods? Mm, no, because I think she really did want to punish him. And he was already at that point when he got there. So that wouldn't have been a punishment.
0: Yeah. <laughs> You know why that's what he gets anyways.
2: (laughs) That's true. That's
0: That's very true.
2: He's in the exact same position now as he was five minutes into the movie. Less so because he has no monkey. He has no weapons. He has less clothing on.
1: Mm -hmm. He lost his jacket. Yeah. Mm, His iconic jacket.
2: He's got boots though.
1: That's a very good point. You could argue... That Max could go back, retrace his steps, and find his jacket somewhere along those railroad tracks.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think he probably will. And I know we've talked about this before. Doesn't he have his jacket in Fury Road? He does. Yeah, so he he did. He went back and found it. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, (laughs) he's got lots of time on his hands. Yeah. So he has a safe place that he can go, to Jedediah's place. And sustenance living is difficult. It takes up a lot of your day, but having a safe place to live with shelter and probably food and water stores, he's going to have some free time. And knowing Max and how he feels about certain objects in his life, like the jacket and the car and the shotgun, things like that, having the opportunity to go find his jacket, he is absolutely going to go find it.
1: I'm willing to bet that there are a lot of little trinkets and interesting bits and bobs back there at Crocodile Harry's Grotto, things that he could piece together and assemble, because not only was Max a cop and a driver, but he was also mechanically minded. He could work on his own vehicle. Hmm and maintain and work on so he might be able to assemble some things that he needs from the bits and bobs there it could be that he'll just up and leave which is exactly what we're gonna see later on in this movie and hmm. just up and walking away i think it would be more smart of him to hang out in that car pile a little bit see if he can't salvage something, but that's me speaking with hindsight.
0: I think the clear example of that was be his ability to make bombs or make the booby traps every time he gets a new car. Yeah. Like especially on this, this one here, the, how elaborate the arming system and everything else is on it. A lot more than just something that's sort of tucked in behind the fender on the interceptor. Those 12 sticks of dynamite, do you think Blackfinger took them off
1: completely or do you think he just disabled them? I'd say it'd be off. It'd have to be off.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I don't really know how dynamite works. If the dynamite was still on the truck... When it crashed, would that be enough to set the dynamite off?
1: Where this is a Hollywood movie, I would say yes. In reality,
0: <laughs> I'd say maybe. Okay. For me, it just keeps on coming back to Lost where they're trying to move <laughs> move the dynamite and it just goes off because <laughs> it's sweating. But <laughs> Yeah, that's
2: what I was thinking about.
0: <laughs> I know the old, me father did, he used to have, have sticks of gelignite, which is similar sort of in the shed at home. And it used to sweat. It'd leave a white residue on the corrugated iron. And he used to say, don't touch it <laughs> because it would go off, whether that was just to keep me away from it being inquisitive or what have you, but the fact that you need a detonator to actually make it explode. But it's sort of going off film logic, it changes. One minute shooting a, a missile at a truck that's got a nuke and it will make it go off, next minute it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Shooting an oxygen tank with a Enfield rifle will make a shark explode. It's just <laughs> the films will take the logicness and stuff and sometimes completely throw it out the window for amusement something valuable like that would have to be taken off and put in auntie's little stronghold or armory or something you'd imagine yeah she'd either use it for the industrial
1: purpose that it was originally intended or she'd keep it in the armory something that she
0: could weaponize later on and we sort of mentioned at the time when we first got to barter town whether those tunnels and caves for underworld were um dug out and continuously being dug out to make more room for pigs and the manure and that, or if it was some sort of old fallout shelter that they'd found. Having dynamite there to clear more space would be a lot easier and quicker than hard labour picking away at it with no motivation. Assuming it was a mine or a
1: quarry, I imagine when they first got there, they probably had a good supply of dynamite. Mm. And then as they went through it, they ran out. So any instance where someone rolls into town with extra dynamite, they'd be like, oh, great. Give it to the hard labor foreman. Yeah. He can
0: clear out a new pathway now. And hard labor is not just a punishment. They're there doing a task yeah. for a specific reason. It's not just, well, here's a rock gun break it open, like that rock needs to be moved or cleared or whatever, what have you.
2: And Max was able to get a job, ostensibly a paying job, shoveling manure. Hmm. So prisoners probably aren't the only ones performing hard labor and they never address max getting a job in underworld
1: yeah i don't think we like, ever see him getting any sort of payment
2: yeah like that whole process is there a recruiter out in Bartertown where you can just walk up and say hey i need a job and you strike a deal on how much you'll get paid and it just seems odd
0: Well, that goes back to the start with The Collector. The brothel's full. Surely you can't just turn up there and say, well, I'm healthy. I can do manual labor. (laughs) You can shovel crap, can't you?
2: (laughs) Yeah, that seems incredibly valuable.
0: Yeah. A strong man like Max, the only thing you're (laughs) going to offer him is the brothel. (laughs) Of course, get him down there and shovel stuff.
2: Right. Maybe they're not as industrious as we're assuming. Maybe they're not trying to expand. Maybe the only industry really is taking care of the pigs and they have enough convicts to do the job.
0: Mm-hmm. Could be. But then the whole prisoner thing is sort of odd too, where all of a sudden we see Pig Killer out watching Thunderdome. It's, as you said in those minutes, it's very odd. You don't really get a clear case of what actual prisoner is. Okay, you've got a motorbike sprocket tied around your neck and a brand. But you still seem to have a bit of freedom around to move. It's a bit lax in their strictness with their prisoners.
2: Mm.
1: So, Auntie drives away and Max rises to his feet and starts walking. We pull out with the camera. We see all of this smoke trailing behind Max. And ostensibly speaking, this is the last time we see Mel Gibson clearly shown. We see him in silhouette later on. But this is the last time we see Mel Gibson as Max Rokotanski. Hmm.
2: Oh, that's a bit of a moment then.
1: It's an end of an era. It certainly is. In the Mad Max series. Jacketless.
2: (laughs) I'm not going to have any trouble with the transition to a different Max, but Mel Gibson was a fantastic Max Rokotansky. It's a role that I can picture other actors playing, but he does it so well that I'm just incredibly pleased with that casting and where he's taken it over the course of three movies.
0: And I had to laugh too. During mid-season around the minute 40s where you had the Batman guys on, they said that um, he was in the running for Batman mm-hmm. 89. Like, wow, that would have been
2: <laughs>
0: so different. But And sort of last minute too when he's on the ground and he comes up and he's sort of holding his side, whether or not he was muscle memory going through his sidearm or not, I would have preferred in that scene sort of maybe get that damaged leg out to say he'd sort of re-injured it or just that niggling injuries there because here he gets up pretty much straight away and just starts walking down the runway Mm -hmm. when you can clearly see it's a runway or a road too where up until last minute when you mentioned it I just thought well the plane as long as it's smoothed off enough surface for the plane to take off it doesn't need a lot of space to take off anyway I don't see Jebediah with construction vehicles making a runway going from his house (laughs) all the way out to that cliff yeah Um, he obviously knew the cliff was there because he stopped the plane (laughs) because
2: yeah that runway is quite a feat reminds me of when i was a kid uh our backyard was then after the lawn it was just woods for acres and acres and so our yard was constantly covered with acorns and branch pieces and leaves and whatnot so me and my sister would get like a penny or a nickel or something for every uh, every rock or branch that we picked up from the backyard.
1: Hmm. That seems like a tricky thing to regulate.
2: Yeah, I don't think it really worked out that well. <laughs> it was always covered with rocks and acorns and branches. But I can picture Jedediah and Jedediah Jr. out there picking up rocks and moving them to the side.
0: Moving tumbleweeds away. <laughs>
2: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, because
1: what else are you going to do that day?
2: Right. Mm -hmm. If your airplane is going to be such a large part of how you sustain yourself, then you got to spend the time to do it right and safe and make sure that it's going to continue to work for you.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, especially as we said last minute, there's only 118 of them that were built. So spare parts, if you damage something, fixing that plane again would be a uh, bit of an issue. Yeah. And I think one thing subject
1: that never comes up as we're talking about this movie is where they're getting their tires from.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I can't believe we've never thought about that question before.
1: Especially with all the times that we were watching tires getting shot out in the second movie. It's like, yeah, that's all well
0: and good, but how are you going to replace those tires? Well, especially here too, like you see Auntie's absurd vehicle with um, sort of the large tractor tires on the back of it as well, like that sort of stuff's. Yeah, maybe they found a farm or something where they can get some of this stuff off but I think it gets even more absurd in Fury Road where it's good with the interceptor as little time we see it the tires are sort of stitched together and look like they've been stuffed with material to sort of keep them pumped up where you've got stuff like the Giga Horse and that, they've got a brand new tractor tires on it and like what else are they doing over that fuel farm are they making rubber as well <laughs> <laughs> I can only assume and that's that all comes down to logistics like you, you could you could sit there and nitpick about the hockey gear and that from the last movie as well or well, Coming across a, a truckload of hockey gear makes a little bit more sense than the fact that you can keep on getting tires or batteries or this sort of stuff that's industrially made mm-hmm. yet doesn't have much of a shelf life. I'm thinking about this last shot of Mel situation
1: here, and I'm not sure how it's going to be adjusting to a new one, a
0: new Max. I've gotten so used to looking at Mel here. Mm. Well, they don't even carry over the the silver, <laughs> the silver in the hair. Yeah to Hardy as well like it's apparently apart from the the shoulder pad I'm pretty he's got a knee brace on in that film as well so they carry that over as well but I think the biggest problem with that film is people trying to fit it into this canon yeah let it sit as at own don't try and tie two and two together
1: I will always defer to official sources and when I went out and got the official tied-over comic book, the prequel to Fury Road, they go through and they recount the history of the first three movies, and they just more or less put Tom Hardy's face on Mel Gibson's body. <laughs> <laughs> With the whole idea that Fury Road is supposed to take place fairly soon after Thunderdome. It's one of those situations where I try not to think too hard about
0: it. Yeah. But that's that's just to retcon the, the character yeah, being looking different. That's... That's not the problem. The problem's a lot of the other things that reappear and stuff like that, that are just, they it didn't, doesn't feel like they felt that hard about it. So, I remember you talking about those comics at an earlier stage yeah. and just being so infuriated by the concepts <laughs> brought up in, the, in that <laughs> minute. We'll be taking a deep dive into those comic books in the Mm.
1: first week of Fury Road because the first couple of minutes of Fury Road are kind of uh, devoid of stuff. It's a lot of voiceover. It's a lot of cut-in stock footage implications and things like that. So we're going to use that as time to talk about, okay, what are we supposed to think or know about the time between Thunderdome and Fury Road. So we're not going to do a hiatus episode about it or anything like that. It's going to be specifically main show continuity. So I'm looking forward to doing that. Because there is good stuff in that comic book.
0: It is an enjoyable read. Absolutely. And there's going to be a lot of minutes there where it's just scenic shots. Yeah. And that Where mm-hmm. there's not a lot happening. <laughs> so yes. I feel for you there. <laughs> <laughs> We're looking forward to Fury Road. I think
1: here yeah. with only two and I'll say a half more weeks to go in this show. I think it's pretty safe to say that I'm already looking forward to season four. Yes,
0: easily. Mm. Uh, it'd be good to good to listen along and go back to that minute by minute because I wasn't wasn't an overly large fan of the film. So and these minute by minute podcasts do. uh do shine a lot more light on the films themselves, so... Any opportunity that we get to
1: shine a positive light on something. There are <laughs> so many positive things in this movie. And they get so often covered up by the things like Iron Bar surviving everything. Yep. <laughs> There's so much good stuff in here that it should be really easy to let the other things slide.
2: <laughs> ah!
1: <laughs> but before we can ever get to that, we need to wrap up today's minute. Because we wipe... Across Max, and we find the air truck flying along, and there is a big old sandstorm that they're flying towards. Which I'm assuming you don't want to
0: fly into those. <laughs> well, we've seen I... what it does to the war rig, <laughs> in Fury Road. Yeah,
2: yeah. I'm curious about this sandstorm. Is it supposed to symbolize something? I'm just not sure how to read it.
0: Yeah, what does it does it say? Danger! Don't. <laughs> Don't come here or is it... Yeah.
2: Why is it in the movie? We don't see them conquer the sandstorm, do we?
1: No. I think it's just an interesting detail. Okay. Like, they're flying along. How do you make flying interesting? Well, get a shot where part of the screen is taken up (laughs) by this giant sandstorm that they're flying along because it's an interesting thing to look at.
2: Yeah. So, same question. In Fury Road, how do you make driving interesting? Well, you have them drive into a giant sandstorm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then have tornadoes and lightning and. <laughs> let's <laughs> not. That's for another series. <laughs> <ever>. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wonder if this might be the one sort of little clue as to when we do get to Sydney and the fact that it's all really sort of like cloudy or misty, where it's, it's obviously they're inside the sandstorm flying in. Probably more so to hide the fact that it's all miniature work and not actually. An empty Sydney harbour and that. But
2: <laughs> yeah. Right.
0: It might be just to explain why when we get to Sydney, it's so dark and hard to see things because they're flying into this sandstorm.
2: So it's setting the scene
0: I think flying into the
1: sandstorm is a good explanation for it, especially because as we go inside the cockpit, you can see Jedidiah Junior, Jedidiah, and then Skyfish is right over Jedidiah's shoulder. But everything is very sepia. Mm. I can only imagine that being able to be up in this plane is
0: making Skyfish's day. Yeah, and you brought up in, I think it was forty or forty-one, Rick about the uh, the seventeen-hour flight time from Sydney to Cooper Yeah, and that was a bit of contention on the show. Did you just draw a line between the two and, or did you go to a Qantas or something? <laughs> I've got a line drawn on Google Maps
1: yep. from more or less the center of Cooper to the center of Sydney. And as far as I can see, it's 1,024 miles, which is about
0: 1,647 kilometers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's interesting because we've seen modified vehicles in the franchise where they've added more fuel tanks, added sort of stuff to... Um, extend range. Mm-hmm. But that plane only had a range of 1,200 kilometers. It might make up for the fact that they're too heavy to take off. And that's why they need to get sort of why only a few people and it made more difference in it being able to carry a ton. But it's not explained at all. You can't see extra fuel tanks hanging off the plane, but it wouldn't have got there. <laughs> I could see Jedediah installing extra tanks- Subtly,
1: like inside the bodywork type of thing to extend the range, because he's got to go to Bartertown for something. And I know we've theorized in the past that he goes there for fuel, for methane and whatnot. So if he just got back from Bartertown after doing a huge trade in with a vehicle, that would probably get him a lot of methane. So he'd be able to come back, refill the plane, and then out of the blue, hey, let's fly 1,600
0: kilometers. Ha! <laughs> all the way to the coast. <laughs> but that sort of raises a whole new thing where the plane would have ran on aviation turbine fuel, which is a liquid petroleum. Yeah. Methane is a gas and we, you can see in all the buggies where they've got the gas cylinders on them to uh, house the methane. There's no clear modifications. If some of the engine cowl was missing and you're seeing some hoses that going out and into the wing or something, it might make sense. But yeah, the plane wouldn't run on <laughs> on methane. but they've got to get to sydney so yeah it goes back to maybe let's
1: not think so hard about it yeah exactly (laughs) otherwise we'll be here all day (laughs) yep here we are at the end of yet another week brad has been great having you on with us i'm so glad we were able to get you back after going so long without hearing from you
0: no it's been fun it's just great to talk about these films and the uh the stuff we love so, where should people go if they want to hear more of you? We've just concluded the Lost World Minute over at the Lost World Minute on Facebook. I think I gave out the uh, website. <laughs> that doesn't work anymore. Um, head over to Facebook, Lost World Minute. Um, we're on Podbean as well there. Just finishing or finished the Lost World and probably now our hiatus now and um, getting ready to start Jurassic Park 3, which like Thunderdome, the third in the series and probably not the most liked. So... <laughs> If if there's one thing to really
1: appreciate about Jurassic Park three is that there is a giant metal dome. Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. nice. No
1: chainsaws in there though. No, unfortunately not. A chainsaw would be really useful in fending off pterodons though. Yeah. <laughs> oh well we've got a parachute. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Coming up on Monday, we get to see that even though Max's story is over, there is still more to come as we follow the air truck on its fateful flight towards the coast. The question remains, will our band of misfits find their Tomorrow Morrow You'll just have to come back on Monday to find out. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham.
2: Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers.
1: Join our Patreon by clicking the support link, or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link.
2: Thank you for joining us for Minute 99 of Beyond Thunderdome. See you next time.
1: Everybody.